from Washington, I'm David Schultz, and this is Talking Tax. When the Senate agreed to the ratification of a tax treaty with the nation of Chile last month, probably the only people who noticed were those who have business in the South American country or huge tax nerds, i.e. people like us. But on today's episode, we're going to demonstrate that this tax treaty is actually remarkable for several reasons, one of which is that tax treaties clearing the Senate is very, very unusual these days. Our guest today is Kathy Schultz, the vice president of tax and fiscal policy at the Business Roundtable, who, as far as we could tell, is of no relation to me. Kathy spoke with Bloomberg tax reporter Chris Chaffee about why the treaty was agreed to now after languishing in the Senate for 10 years and about how it could actually have a real impact on the U.S.'s climate goals. Yes, climate goals. First, Kathy explained to Chris why this treaty matters. The Chilean treaty is really important because we have a lot of business interests in Chile and in South America in general. We only have one other treaty in South America, and that's with Venezuela. So one of the things that Treasury has been trying to do is to do treaties in parts of the world where we really don't have a lot of tax treaties. Um, companies are already doing business in Chile. And the problem was without a treaty, the way that Chilean taxes work is you have one corporate rate for countries that have a tax treaty with Chile and a higher corporate rate for companies from countries that do not have a tax treaty with Chile. So for the business community doing like working in Chile, they really they had given us a short grandfather time to try to see if we could get a treaty together and that was expiring and it was very important for the US to negotiate a treaty with Chile so that we could continue to work on that. As a country, we have fewer treaties than almost every other country. It takes a long time to negotiate a treaty, but it's also because we have a history of not being able to move treaties through the Senate. We are not seen as a, as a reliable treaty partner, so it's harder for us to be able to negotiate treaties than it is for other countries. Right. Now, dozens of nations do have tax treaties with the U.S., which you know can help companies avoid being taxed twice on the same income and foster that cross-border investment. And they also include frameworks governments and companies can use to solve disputes, right, and provide uh, lower withholding rates. Now, this Chilean tax treaty was popular, right? Lawmakers voted 95 to 2 in favor of consenting to ratify the tax treaty. Can you talk a little bit about why it took so long to get that vote? And more generally, why have we seen passage of tax treaties slow to almost a crawl in the Senate in the last few years? They have slowed to a crawl in the Senate since 2010, and that is when Senator Rand Paul was elected. Senator Rand Paul does not like tax treaties. He is concerned about the exchange of information provision that is included in all of our tax treaties. And unfortunately, um, prior to that, we were doing treaties multiple times a year. And usually by unanimous consent, it was not a problem. They were moving through when Senator Paul was elected in 2010 he has put up roadblocks to moving treaties through the Senate. To do a treaty on the Senate floor, um, if you can't do it by unanimous consent, you have to actually take the full 30 hours of time to do it, which, as you know, in the Senate, that's a big block of time to do one thing. 
it is just it is just much harder to get treaties through and that's that's the reason is he he feels that US information should not be exchanged with another country but you know they exchange tax information with us and it's IRS to IRS really tax authority to tax authority doing the exchange of information he throws up roadblocks every every time so that is why it has taken longer to do treaties than it ever had in the past i i would point out that the last Chilean treaty i believe uh, if he had pulled the entire, required the entire 30 hours, the Senate would have been stuck in Washington a day or two longer. However, it appears that he did relent slightly so they could all leave on Thursday afternoon. So I guess the chamber can appreciate that a little bit, especially with the July 4th recess. That, that was not coincidental on that timing. <laughs> Perhaps not. Now, this was the first Congress where the full Senate took that vote on this Chilean tax treaty. But the Senate Foreign Relations Committee has recommended the treaty uh, get a floor vote in past Congresses. Can you talk a little bit about why um, in this Congress, when it came up, there was a bit of concern raised by some Republicans over how they read provisions related to double taxation and how that double taxation issue was ultimately solved in this Chilean tax treaty? This is, this is, there's a couple of different things that are going on here. Since this Chilean treaty was sent to the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, the um, Tax Cuts and Jobs Act in 2017 was adopted, which meant that the underlying treaty that had been sitting at Senate Foreign Relations Committee was not compliant with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. Initially, this became an issue right after the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act because this took a little bit of um, education and understanding because the Democrats were concerned that if they voted for a treaty, they would be tacitly approving the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act's provision that they had voted against. And so there was some discussion that took place to make sure that everybody was comfortable with that language. And once that was sort of worked out and the report language with the Treasury was worked out, then all those sort of concerns were put aside and alleviated. And so then we could at least move forward to get it out of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee again. Chile is one of the world's largest lithium producers, and it's such an important element for the production of batteries and some of these power-related apparatus that have a new importance uh, as Democrats seek to move the U.S. away from dependence on fossil fuels. Obviously, last year's tax and climate package that they passed in August was extremely uh, important. Does this passage of the treaty give the business community reason to be optimistic about the U.S. actually moving tax treaties semi-regularly in the future? Or do they see, does the business community see this as a one-off because lithium production has become such a pressing issue for Democrats in this Congress? I think the lithium um, was what put this over the, the top. I mean, as you know, that there's a new semiconductor plant in New York State, which meant that the majority leader was looking at this because lithium is not just in batteries, it's in, it's in semiconductors. It's a big part of a lot of the new tech. And because he has facilities now being built in his state, that made the majority leader a lot more um, interested in finally moving this forward and willing to take some time to get this on the floor. Chile wasn't the only treaty stuck in the committee. Also, Poland and Hungary, the U.S. has 
obviously um, decided that they are no longer going to move forward with the Hungarian treaty, but the Polish treaty is still sitting there. That didn't move with this treaty. That moves. That is still sitting in committee without any action. So I think this. Uh, I hate. I, I hate to say this, but it, right now this seems to be a one-off. Um, we have other treaties, hopefully, that will be sent to the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, and we can start, you know, having some discussion about that. But the big question then becomes what treaties start to move forward. We have a few that have been, you know, finalized in some of the negotiations, but they haven't been sent to the Senate Foreign Relations Committee yet. And once they get them, what's going to be the driver to get this moving? We had four protocols that were acted on several years ago, um, post-TCJA, and that's with Switzerland, Japan, Spain, and Luxembourg. And there were four of them moving together, but there was a Spanish steel company in Kentucky that had a huge payment coming. And then Majority Leader McConnell was wanting to take care of that big constituent. And so instead of just doing one of those protocols, they set up votes to do all four of them. But again, there was a constituent interest of something that the majority leader cared about. So those four protocols move forward. And if you have somebody who has a keen constituent interest in making sure this happens. It really works a little bit better if it do is the majority leader because he can control the floor and actually get it moving forward. Um, but it made a difference in getting those four protocols done and it made a difference in getting the Chile Treaty done. What outcome does the business community want to see in future treaties? And what are the potential issues you foresee if that tax treaty or those tax treaties don't get resolved. What are the issues that you foresee if we don't get to see another tax treaty move through the Senate for another four years? Well, the question then becomes, what treaties get sent to the Senate Foreign Relations Committee? I mean, what do they have? I mean, right now they have Poland because the Hungarian treaty, they were, they were going to pull it. They made an announcement on that last year. What are the next treaties? I mean, they have negotiated some treaties that we haven't seen move forward. And so the question is, are they, are they going to be sent to the Senate Foreign Relations Committee when they're finalized, if they have everything worked out? They're in the process of renegotiating several treaties and protocols. If we want to expand our treaty network, particularly in Asia and South America, they need to be negotiating and get stuff to the committee. Um, not until we see which other ones get to the Senate Foreign Relations Committee will we know sort of what the chances are of doing that. The general feeling at the OECD on working on Pillar 1 is that you would need 67 senators, you know, or two-thirds of the Senate present, to vote to adopt a treaty to put Pillar 1 in place. And the general feeling is that that will never happen um, because there will be more pushback. So if you look at regular bilateral treaties, we have a better chance of you know being able to at least move them forward. Multilateral treaties do not go through the Senate very easily. There's an OECD multilateral on the exchange of information that is still sitting at the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, and it's sort of gone to the background to the point where people don't even realize that it's still sitting there. Um, because if they have trouble doing a, an exchange of information with people that we have a bilateral relationship with, they're not going to exchange information with people that we have no other relationship with. So that treaty is, is sitting there and 
is unlikely to move anywhere. So it just depends on the treaty and what comes up and what the key provisions of them are. That was Kathy Schultz with the Business Roundtable speaking with Bloomberg Tax's Chris Choppy. And that's it for today's podcast. You can find up-to-the-minute news and the latest tax and accounting developments at our website, news.bloombergtax.com. Our website, once again, is news.bloombergtax.com. Today's Talking Tax is produced by myself, David Schultz. Meg Shreve is our editor. And our executive producer is Josh Block. From Washington, I'm David Schultz. Thanks for listening. I felt like I was in jail every day when I was going to work. I'm like, I got to get out of here. My executive order calls on the FTC to ban or limit non-compete agreements. Let workers choose who they want to work for. This season on Uncommon Law, we're exploring one of the most expansive Federal Trade Commission proposals in modern history, a nationwide ban on non-compete clauses. Non-compete clauses can really restrict competition. They can be coercive, they can be exploitative. We'll talk to workers who were desperate to take new jobs in their industry only to be blocked by threat of a lawsuit. I remember getting served my cease and desist and thinking that this can't be right, this can't be fair, how can she get away with this? And we'll talk to the business owners who say they depend on these clauses to keep their companies afloat. I think like with anything else, when you enter into an agreement, there are rules. And you decide if you want to participate in that or not. I just believe that there should be some protections for small businesses like myself that are already in a very competitive industry. Plus, does the FTC under chair Lena Khan even have the power to pass this rule? Look, Congress gave the FTC the authority to check unfair methods of competition. There is no limit to what Khan thinks she may be able to achieve if she can label it an unfair method of competition. Lena Khan is not coming out of nowhere. It really is the natural progression of the insights that we have about how harmful non-competes are on our markets. Join us as we explore the far-reaching implications of this proposal and the likely court battle that could shape the future of the American workforce. That's this season on Uncommon Law from Bloomberg Industry Group.